This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Hello, podcast community. As you know, most of the guests on my show are nonprofit leaders, authors, and thinkers who are actively in the sector seeking to influence it for the better. But from time to time, I invite a guest who's not a nonprofit leader, but someone who I think has relevant experience and insights that can really help us in the nonprofit world. Well, today my guest is just that, a leader in the tech sector in this case, an entrepreneur that has built a company for over 20 years. His experience of starting, building, and scaling his business has so many transferable principles that we can learn from for our leadership experience as nonprofit leaders. My guest today is Earl Foote. He is the CEO and founder of Nexus IT. And today he will share a bit about his entrepreneurial journey, the strategies for recruiting and retaining good staff, inflection points along the way, and also you don't want to miss hearing his thoughts on what he as a business owner and nonprofit supporter thinks we as nonprofit organizations can do better. Enjoy today's show. Well, Earl, it is great to have you on the show today. Such a pleasure, Rob. Thank you for the the invitation. This will be unique. You know, I'm usually on podcasts or speaking to audiences and for-profit sort of you know, organizations and communities. So you got to think back if I've done, you know, any thought leadership in, in the nonprofit, but I, nothing comes to mind right now. Well, hey, there we go. I feel honored that you were the first for you because, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, my audience, as you know, is, is primarily a nonprofit leaders audience. However, I think obviously, number one, because we're good friends and I, I know I've seen your, the trajectory of your growth of the company you lead. You have so much to teach us in the nonprofit sector when it comes to leadership and also the entrepreneurial skills that you bring into Nexus and what you've done over those last several years. A lot of those overlap, I believe, too, when it comes to nonprofit leadership. So let's get into that. Yeah, obviously, this is for nonprofit leaders. And as we answer these, obviously, you can share from your perspective and how it applies then to the nonprofit sector. Tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get Nexus, which is the company you lead, started in the first place? Yeah, very good. You know, it was probably a lot of stupidity and a little bit of dumb luck, but uh, I was I was 23 years old and I'm in my 25th year of, of you know, having established and, and now running Nexus. And I've done some little, you know, other little side ventures and things like that as well over the years. I do sit on a number of boards and advisory boards right now, you know, in addition to Nexus. But, you know, it was interesting. I guess I was actually... I was recently married. I was full-time. I was working full-time, going to school full-time, taking 18 to 21 credit hours at night. Had my first kid. This is about the age of 23, 24. And you know, my, my brother and I ran across this harebrained idea to start this turnkey network gear e-commerce website. And it was the dot-com boom. And, you know, we, we were 
surefire to be Bill Gates overnight. You know, it was just going to happen. So for, for, you know, the, the very low price of 500 bucks, we, we were able to, you know, put together this turnkey e-commerce website. We each put in $250 of personal money into it. Um, you know, the late nineties, this was 1998. And we didn't know the first thing about digital marketing at the time. We didn't know the first thing about driving traffic to a website to actually get sales. So, you know, I think we were sitting there for a month, you know, kind of twiddling our thumbs and going, what's going on here? You know, and, and once we kind of understood, okay, well, there's more you have to do here. And actually you got a massive amount of competition. Like we were, we were young. Again, I was 23. We had, I was in school to be an engineer, a civil engineer. My brother had, had just turned out of, you know, IT school. And we didn't know the first thing about business, honestly, like, like not the first thing. And, you know, we're like, okay, well, what, what, <laughs> what do we do here? By the time we figured out that, you know, like you had to market and we needed money to market. And it's like, well, we're both, you know, young kids, you know, with young families in, you know, in school and there's no more money, right? You know, we like scraped together everything we could. But, you know, the interesting thing was, is that it, it, that actually led to very quickly a lot of friends and family and then you know people in our circles beginning to ask for help as it pertained to IT you know computers and quickly evolved into consulting with businesses around technology and so really within a few months we started to land our first IT you know consulting you know contracts our first IT outsourcing contracts which you know back in the late 90s today we we call the industry managed IT services, which is, it's a predominantly remote model, you know, but especially COVID, you know, has really kind of changed that dynamic a lot. But, you know, 70, 80% of the services we perform are now remote. In the late 90s, they were on site. It was more of an IT staffing type of model. And so, you know, we, we pretty quickly started to land some, some clients that needed, you know, IT resources, small and medium businesses that needed IT resources for eight hours a week, you know, maybe, you know, maybe 20 hours a week or, you know, so just fractional type of, you know, staffing. And many of those companies late nineties, honestly, were literally executing their original digital transformation. They were going off of paper and we were designing and setting up client server environments, you know, you know, and taking them into digital environments so that they could operate businesses you know, through computers rather than um, doing it manually. Some of them had already been on computers, but, but you know, I'd say about half-half, you know, the, of, our, of our kind of, you know, early clients. Now, it's so interesting. So how long did it take you to go from the initial idea to launch? Well, no, really the idea to launch was probably four to six weeks. To real traction, you know, that's that's totally different, right? But yeah, depending upon the type of organization that you launch, you know, the complexity of launching that can be very different. You know, in our industry, in services, services is always one of the easiest things to start. And it's it's why you see even like a lot of, you know, software product companies, SaaS companies, for example, they start with a services model. Um, because you know they can get clients fast, they can get revenue fast, they can you know create margins, and then from those margins they can build their product and ultimately kind of transition into a, a SaaS company with maybe 
you know, a, a minuscule professional services division, right? But, you know, services is, is one of the easiest things to stand up and scale. Well, I should say stand up. Scaling services is harder because it, it's you're, you're scaling heads, you're scaling people, you're not scaling technology or processes, right? And so, yeah, like, you know, again, the e-commerce website and starting to, you know, get services clients was a matter of six, eight, you know, maybe 12 weeks to, for that all to, you know, kind of begin to come to fruition. But yeah, those first, you know, five or six years were pretty meager. Like, you know, I, I'm... Yeah, if I think back, I was probably making twenty, twenty-five thousand a year for you know those first several years. So it was it was pretty tight for you know a family, uh, you know, a family, uh, you know, with a with a new home. And- Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue, but knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Now, as you look back over the growth of your company, because you can, and you can even update us on you know, how big you are now, walk us through some of the key turning points. And my guess is, and you can explain, you know, where are these turning points, sometimes in nonprofit world, it's very similar where you get to a point where your organization may completely just fail or maybe sputter and just stay where they are or really go to that next level of growth. I'm guessing you had some turning points along the way over the last several years. Could you talk about just a one or two of those where you feel like those key turning points where you would have, again, either closed your doors or looked back and just leveled off the growth? Or my guess is you kept growing because I see you now and you can, you have continued to grow. Maybe lean us into that story a bit about where those key turning points were and what happened. Yeah, you know, I think all organizations face significant challenges, right? I mean, I my circle of you know friends and colleagues are all you know startup founders and, and executives, and of course, you know, cool nonprofit executives like yourself. And you know, we we all share war stories and compare battle wounds and all that kind of stuff, right? Business, whether it's nonprofit or for profit, is challenging. It, it's it's going to be you know a really difficult path, and you have to develop, you know, the, an addiction, I think, to stick to but, you know, to, to, to speak a little bit more about, you know, turning points, economic downturns, of course, you know, we went through the dot-com bust. We went through the 08, 09, we went through 12. Now we've been through COVID and now, you know, right now navigating kind of this weird economic time that we've been going through the last, you know, 12 or 18 months. We've had, you know, things like, unfortunately, some fraud and embezzlement, you know, in the earlier years that had happened. You know, my brother and I, who were original business business partners, actually split the business in half and, and separated, you know, the business. And so we've had plenty of kind of inflection points that, you know, and certainly lulls in the business, you know, when reflect, dig deep, do some deeper analysis into our product market fit you know, our capabilities, you know, where we can really hone our services and products so that, you know, we're, we can grow and scale better as an organization. 
you know, we've had those moments of you know, challenging, you know, sketchy economic times, you know, where we've had to be very disciplined about scaling back our, you know, our costs within the organization. And, you know, that's, that's a challenge, you know, in and of itself, because you don't cut your way to growth when, you know, economies get weird. You have to be disciplined about what's really producing ROI, what's really, you know, making an impact for us and for our clients, and what can we do away with, you know, and sometimes that is some positions that you have to do away with. You know, I see a lot of organizations when it comes, of course, growing a non-business are different in terms of marketing and sales. I see a lot of for-profit organizations when rough economic times hit, they scale back on marketing and sales. And in my opinion, that's a foolish decision because you know you're generally you're going like if you're scaling back on marketing and sales on the data around those marketing sell and sales and make sure that like all of our efforts, all of our spend, you know, is actually producing the ROI targets that we want. Like if you know if our pay per click ads are producing, you know, two qualified leads a month, but our target is 20, then something's wrong with those paid paperwork ads, right? Like either they need to go away or you got to change the approach, you know? And so, you know, getting, and, and that's a, you fine tune the business all the time. There are inflection points, the market changes, clients change or people change. And so I'm 25 years in, and every day, you know, we're still knee deep, like, you know, assessing where we're at as a business. And, you know, I, I hear, which I think candidly, I think it's foolish, but maybe it's a, it's an industry nuance. I hear a lot of people say, oh yeah, my business is on autopilot. I'm so good. You know, like I, I don't have to really work, you know, and it's like an industry that's is, and that's true for nonprofits, you know, an economic downturn. It becomes significantly more difficult for nonprofits to raise, you know, to do fundraising, right? Uh, and so you have to be disciplined about understanding your business. And in my opinion, that's that comes down to data. You got to have really good sources, clean sources of data. You got to understand what's working, what's not working, and you got to really focus in on, you know, what's producing optimal outcomes for for your organization. Well, that makes total sense. And I think you're so right. And that's a great segue to the next question. One of the aspects of nonprofits that really distinguish our sector, I think, is our ability to pivot and to be nimble. But good businesses really also know how to do this well. And you've done that. And that's what you were just referring to at the end of your last answer. So what have you learned about the art of the pivot, so to speak, in the process of the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's during COVID, so many organizations, you know, they they learn to do really well because they learn to pivot or they die. Right. And, and that's, yeah, that is the reality of, you know, of business today. Like I, it, it's so interesting because here in 2023, and again, I've been doing this for 25 years, I've never seen market volatility. Like, like, like we have today, the conditions of how easy it is for, for consumer and client sentiment to be influenced, right. By whatever factors, right social media, media narratives, you know, economic conditions, you know, geopolitical situations. And, and it's, I think that if you're going to be a thriving organization in today's world, you have to be hypervigilant. You, you have to really, again, I'm, I'm a, I'm a data geek, you know? And so 
having really good sources of data of kind of all the things that are happening within your organization, being disciplined about using that data to understand or, you know, your and understand shifting sentiments, understand shifting conditions and, and doing your best to get ahead of those, right? Being, you know, being strategic, studying what's happening. So, you know, having multiple leaders kind of at a, at a top level who are, are always, you know, keeping a really tight in the business and in the market and adjusting to it, right? I, you know, uh, we, of course, you know, we support and have a lot of nonprofit friends. You know, we're, we're very, a very community-minded organization. And a lot of, you know, our nonprofit partners, you know, and friends around town have struggled over the last 12 to 18 months to really, you know, to fundraise. And I'm seeing some of them that are, you know, unfortunately, potentially on the verge of, of having to close doors. And, but I also see those who keep a tight pulse on what's happening and who understand that in today's world, you have to pivot. And sometimes that pivot is 180 degrees. It's not, it's not a 15 degree pivot, right? It is like, we, we gotta, we gotta scale this thing back to the bare bones and re-engineer it from the ground up, right? As an organization, that's not only because of market conditions and things like that, it's size conditions of your business, you know? So we've been doing these kind of 100% growth years and I can tell you they're challenging because, you know, when you, when you go, you know, say from 10 million to 20 million, you know, your business is completely different. You break almost every process and system in the business. You know, your staffing needs are different. Your client needs are different. And you kind of have to go back again, you know, strip it all back to the bare bones and go, okay, how do we rebuild this, you know, for and right size it for where we are now in today's reality. That's for us been a very disciplined, you know, kind of process. And it's, it's always ongoing. We're an organization who, you know, we watch some of the, the biggest, best organizations in the world who believe in building a culture of innovation, of, of experimentation. And we, we encourage all of our teams, all of our leaders run experiments all the time, you know, have, yeah, have hypotheses all the time. So in fact, you know, as we do our leadership meetings and all that kind of stuff, you know, we, we use a process actually it was, it was used for the Ford turnaround. It's called business performance review or BPR. And in that process, every leader, you know, kind of brings the greatest challenges, the top, you know, three to five challenges or priorities with their team or their function. And they bring ideas, solutions to those, right? They get input from a team of leaders, you know, they get some ideas. And ultimately, they, they go back and they execute on running different experiments to see, you know, what's going to, what's going to create the greatest impact. Being kind of disciplined about these, these processes of understanding what's happening in your business and consistently being willing to, to experiment, to pivot, to innovate, to grow, you know, to be the best at what you can be. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Well, look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. 
That is www.donorbox.org. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in Seven Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. And when you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Love that. I'm glad you talked about processes. Why don't we talk about recruiting and retaining good staff? I'm guessing as you've gone along the way, that's been a challenge, right? To get the right people at the right level. And then when you grow to another level and you mentioned like doubling your output, and my guess is then that means you maybe don't double your staff, but you have to increase your staff. And perhaps you had a staff member that was really good at a certain level of your company. But now that your company's larger, that person's not as good in that role and you have to completely revamp the roles. Talk about how you've gone about recruiting good people and retaining them, what's been your key strategies? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, the the key to my my opinion, the key to attracting the right talent and to retaining them is to build a high performing culture, a, a culture that where people feel supported. And by the way, you know, high performing culture, in my opinion, is people trust each other and they have psychological safety. When when those two elements exist. You can do almost anything you want to do in business. And by the way, you don't need ping pong tables. You don't need an all you can eat cafeteria. Um, <laughs> you don't. Oh. <laughs> don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, those are niceties that you can certainly, you know, those are nice little things that you can give. But what it comes down to is people want to be aligned with a purpose. They want to feel like they're doing meaningful work. They want to feel like their leaders and their team have their back, right? And those kind of basic elements of, you know, a work environment. And if you can, you know, you're never going to completely nail them, but if you can have those things, you know, fairly in order, people will even come to work for you for less money than they would feel fulfilled. They don't feel rewarded and they don't feel like they're, they're supported in their role to be successful. Right. And, and so, and I'm not saying you should, you know, offer less money or, but nonprofits, you know, limited, you know, pockets, right. The, you know, the, the depth of the pockets are limited. Our industry is a low margin industry. You know, so very careful with with our finances as well. You know, but but really like and and by the way, just a quick hack for everybody. People often get the term culture as it applies to a an organization, they they get it confused. Culture what it reads top level leadership behavior at scale throughout the organization. That is that that is culture. The, the way that the senior leadership team behaves, the way they behave individually and the way they behave with each other, the way they play a team sport together is exactly the way everybody else through the entire organization will behave. You know, you set the bar as, as a top level leader. Um, 
you know, if, if your bar is to justify, if your bar is to say, well, we can't really do that because of X, Y, and Z, or, and granted, there might be some realities to like, you got to think about how do we get there from here and, you know, be methodical in that process. But, and if you don't, you know, as a, as a senior leadership team, if you aren't collaborative, if you aren't playing a team sport together, if you aren't supporting each other, you know, if you aren't really working together to help each other achieve the primary objectives of the organization, what do you think is going to happen throughout the entire organization? Those dysfunctions will exist from top all the way to bottom, right? Um, you know, uh, but coming back around, you know, talent has been one of the most significant challenges in our industry. There's, in fact, right now in the U.S., there's a shortage of 700 cybersecurity professionals nationwide. So we, we, yeah, we cannot get talent fast enough to fill the need. And we're competing with the federal government who's, you know, fighting real world cyber warfare. We're competing with them for talent. And so it's always a challenge, but, you know, we, we attract and retain really great people, awesome people because of the culture we built that is very, and, and we've been very strategic about making that culture very public. You know, it's part of our marketing strategies. It's part of our, our social media presence. It's part of our thought leadership. It's part of the way we show up and support the community. And um, again, you know, people see that and they want to align with an organization of purpose. You know, that's a lot easier in, you know, in, in the nonprofit realm, in for-profit, you know, to, to, to do something meaningful and align with purpose is more difficult. But I feel like we do that really well. I feel like, you know, we, we've figured out our why and our story and we've figured out, you know, the way to articulate what our purpose is, you know, and that, that aligns with a lot of people, you know, and, and that's the important thing. You want to align with the people that you want to bring to your organization that can do the best work of their career in your organization because you've built an environment where they can do that. Love it. Now, well said. Well, that leads to another question about nonprofits. You are a community member. You're a board member. You support nonprofits through your company and individually. What's one thing you wish nonprofits did better from your perspective? Let's see. Honestly, I, I, and this isn't a slight, but, uh, but I think that a lot of nonprofits could learn a lot of lessons by stepping out of the nonprofit world. Like, excuse me, the leaders could learn by stepping out of the nonprofit world, being in a for-profit business where the stakes are very high. There, there's no exception, but you know, like, like you have to produce the optimal outcomes that are required by the business, especially if, you know, if you've got a board, if you have investors, you have no choice but you know to to hit targets within the business, or there's going to be some sort of you know consequence or problem. And you know, being in a learning environment where where the stakes are high, where it's fast paced, and where where performance is absolutely required, I, I think could be a massive advantage for a lot of nonprofit leaders and a lot of nonprofit organizations. You know. If I'm open and transparent, you know, sometimes some of the nonprofits that we that we support or engage with or that I sit on boards with, the the level of urgency around performance and like real world outcomes is is not as prevalent, right? And so yeah, and granted, you know, there are different focuses and sometimes the you know those those focuses, they require more time, more, you know, care, a slower process. I, I'm not 
discounting that, you know, there are different variables, right? When you're talking for-profit and nonprofit. But I do, since starting their careers in a for-profit realm or even just stepping away for, you know, three to five years, you know, and, and of the grind of for-profit and then stepping back into nonprofit and taking those lessons and those playbooks and going, okay, how are we going to really make this thing hum? You know, how are we going to maximize donor dollars? How are we going to like be operationally efficient? How are we going to maximize incoming fundraising, you know, and how are we going to maximize, you know, of the work that we do, right? And I realize that's something that, you know, nonprofit leaders do all the time. I just think there's a lot of lessons you can learn from a, from a for-profit world. Oh, very interesting. I appreciate those insights. That's actually very helpful. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I think my listeners are going to learn a lot from this conversation. So if they want to connect with you or just learn a little bit more about you and your business, where would you send them? Yeah, let's see. Probably the best place to connect with me is LinkedIn. Just look up Earl Foot, CEO of Nexus IT. My business website is nexusitc.net. We're on all the social media platforms, YouTube, I have a podcast as well called TechBeat, you know, where actually I, I interview other founders and, you know, business to tell, you know, ask them to tell their stories, ask them to tell their greatest lessons. And, you know, I think that those sort of, you know, those ideas can be very much, you know, they can transfer, you know, from for-profit into the nonprofit world, right? And so, yeah, go look up the, 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 the podcast, TechBeat, where leaders learn, innovate, and grow is the name of my, my podcast. That was perfect. Well, I know you're very busy. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the show today, Earl. Rob, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.